2: and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host say koshal. We're recording this episode on Wednesday, November fifteenth. Here, after uh, the Bears had uh, quite a uh, interesting last couple of weeks here. Um, you know, with the recent win coming off the uh, Thursday night game against the Carolina Panthers, uh, bringing them to three and seven on the season so far. And you know, with the ten day layoff, uh, it certainly. We're going to be getting a new look team going forward as Justin Fields is is expected to be back for their next game against the Detroit Lions. So definitely some things of worth of note, uh, you say, as we get into this uh, podcast episode today. Uh, But before we get into what we're going to be going over, uh, how are
1: you doing today, man? I'm doing well. You're right. It kind of feels like this is a new look team and I would even go so far as to argue this, you know, forget the defensive side of the ball for just a second here because for all the people on Twitter that are talking about how, oh yeah, well, Matt Eberflus' defense has looked really good and here's a whole bunch of advanced analytics related to the defense. Can we just be honest about something? When you hire an offensive or defensive-minded guy, right, you hire a guy who basically has had a certain specialization on one side of the football, which again in the Bears case, you look at the last three, four, five off or last three, four, five head coaching hires, you know you would expect that whatever side of the football they specialize in their entire career, that they know how to get the most out of that specific side of the ball. So when people sit here and they talk about, yeah, well, Matty Rufus's defense looks really good and blah, blah, blah. And that's a reason to bring him back. And there's seven games. I'm like, look, I don't care. I quite frankly, I'm not really impressed at all because to me, like, what direction is the league going in, right? It's going in terms of elite quarterbacks and elite offensive play. So to see the defense look good, like that's something we should expect from a defensive minded head coach, just like we expect offensive minded head coaches to, look really good and have really good offenses. But, you know, other than that, yeah, man, I mean, I'm doing well. Got so many different things going on here between Justin Fields being back, you know, Montez Sweat. So it's certainly a weird point in what's been a season that's been unbearable so far, if you ask me.
2: Yeah, well, let's start with Justin Fields because – you know, that'll be the big news this week, obviously coming back for this game against Detroit has been out the last few weeks that with that thumb injury. And, you know, it's been one of those things where look, look, I mean, as much as bears fans want to point out conspiracy theories about maybe this, this bears machine trying to screw over Justin Fields, um, not wanting him to play and play Tyson Bateson out there. I really don't think that's the case when you really think about things, you know, it sounds like based off the way that he's talked in the media, Over the past few days, it sounds like it was a situation last week where if the game was on Sunday instead of Thursday, he probably would have been ready to go. But it's one of those things where, look, look, the the injury was to his throwing hand thumb, right? And if you can't grip the ball, like as a quarterback, you are literally of no use to the team. If you are literally physically incapable of gripping a football and throwing it and being comfortable with that. So. I, I'm fine, you know, with them kind of taking their time and making sure that you know he's healthy with all that stuff. Because look, I mean, at the end of the day, like for Justin Fields' evaluation, you want him to be on the field when he's as close to hundred percent healthy as possible too, right? It does him no service putting him out there when he's not hundred percent and he can't grip a football or you know, he's un- inconsistent throwing a football because the thumb injury is bothering him. Right. So I, I think, you know, look, I think we're all at this point tired of the Tyson Bajan experiment. We know that there's a limited ceiling to this. Um, You know, Bajan does some things pretty well, but he also has some issues taking care of the football. He's he's turned the ball over quite a bit over the last few weeks. You know, that game against Carolina was brutal, I, I, I think, from start to finish with a lot of missed throws. Misreads, you know, and some of the stuff that he does do well in terms of getting the rid of the ball quickly, not taking stacks sacks. We've seen that regress a little bit as the season has gone gone on. As teams have gotten a little bit more tape on him, and they're starting to take away some of the the, the quick game, first read type of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think you know, getting Justin Fields back, it, it'll certainly be a positive for this offense. Although, look, I mean, Justin Fields he's the better quarterback, but you know, it's it should be noted that the Bears are going to start going up against some tough defenses here. When you look at the Lions' defense, which it's up and down, but they've shown that they can play good against certain offenses, and they've had some success against Justin Fields in the past. We look at their last game last year; Justin Fields had one of his worst games last season against this Lions' defense um, late in the season. And then you know you got the Browns coming up. You know you, you got some interesting the Vikings, who Justin Fields struggled against. So it's not going to be easy for Justin Fields. But certainly we're looking at a a, a big last seven games for him because really this last stretch of games is going to determine his future here with the Bears as, as their quarterback moving forward.
1: And let's talk for a second about how Tyson Bajent playing the four games or whatever, the three and a half, four games, kind of influenced Luke Etsy's play calling because if you look at Bajant, the play calling with Bajant. I mean, they were going a lot more six man protection. They always seemingly had a one or two tight end set out there. They always seemingly had Cole commit more on the line of scrimmage in a two or three point stance. They sometimes had him lined up in the backfield behind the guards and tackles in a two point stance and asked him to kind of read and react based on what the linebacker was doing and the edge rushes are doing for the opposing defenses. Now, why is that so significant? Because if you look at this team, I mean, they haven't really allowed double-digit sacks since Tyson Bajant has been in. Now, you can sit there and people can make the whole argument, yeah, well, Bajant gets the ball out quicker, blah, 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 and Justin Fields doesn't. Well, guess what? At the end of the day, anyone who's watched this team, Anyone who can objectively evaluate offensive and defensive line play knows and understands that the six-man protections, quite frankly, are what is working for this team. And it's this six-man protection that you look at with, you know, a Cole Komet, a Robert Tunyon, for example. I would even throw in Mercedes Lewis there with those one or two tight end sets that are what is allowing this offense to kind of go ahead and actually develop some sort of consistency in the passing game. And that's a philosophy to me that needs to, quite frankly, translate over into what the Bears are doing when it comes to Justin Fields. Because yes, Cole Komet is Justin Fields' best friend and most valuable asset in the passing game. Yes, he's got tons of experience. But also, if we're going to be quite honest and we want to keep something in mind, it is so important to note that when you have Cole come in the slot and you're going five man protection every single time, like this offensive line with all the starting combinations that they've had just isn't as effective. And so when you add that six tight end in there, it makes a world of a difference. And quite frankly, like for Luke gets I mean, it's basically malpractice for you to not go ahead and not do that where, you know, you're just not protecting your quarterback at all costs.
2: Well, I, I will say, like, there, there is a legitimacy to the fact that Tyson Bajit's play style does lend itself to taking less sacks, and Justin Fields' play style lends itself to taking more stacks. I mean, Justin Fields holds the ball much longer than Tyson Bajit, and look, I mean, we can say that, you know, the protection schemes that Gatsy has used has helped it, uh in terms of getting the ball out quickly, like some of the quick game stuff, the screens and uh, the boot actions that we haven't really seen them do a lot this year compared to last year. It's not like they haven't done that stuff with Justin Fields as well. Um, but you're right. They do need to get back to that a little bit more. I think if they're going to truly integrate him as well as the quarterback run game and stuff like that, we all understand that. Like we, we've been talking about that all year long, really, that that's kind of been, that's kind of been the biggest problem with his offense in terms of, you know, unlocking what Justin Fields does well. But at the same time, we have to understand that Justin Fields is just always going to be a guy who takes a lot of sacks. It it just is what it is. Like you compare him to every single quarterback that's been on this Bears team since Justin Fields has taken over. Like Justin Fields' sack rate has been astronomical compared to these guys. You look at the year his rookie year with Andy Dalton. Like Andy Dalton's sack rate was way lower than Justin Fields with the same offensive line that Justin Fields was working with. Right? Same goes with Tyson Bagent. Tyson Bagent has the lowest sack rate in the NFL amongst qualifying quarterbacks. Meanwhile, Justin Fields has among the highest, if not the highest sack rate in the NFL among qualifying quarterbacks. So it's really, it just comes down to, it is who Justin Fields is. And, you know, you, you know, for all those negatives, like he does bring some positives in terms of the arm talent, the ability to stretch the field which Tyson Bajan is not capable of doing. We've seen that um, throughout these last five or four or five games or so. Um, the inability to throw the ball in the tight windows consistently, uh, obviously the athleticism and the ability to make plays when nothing is there, you know the explosiveness in the run game. We understand that Justin Fields brings a different dimension to the quarterback position that Bajan just is not capable of bringing. Um, but I mean, there are there is a tax to pay for that in terms of what Justin Fields does bring, and the tax that he does pay is sacks and you know not making the offensive line look great a lot of the time. So, yeah, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is this, is this, is that, you know, Justin Fields, for him coming back, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does and how he approaches, you know, the last stretch of this season. It's not been – it's outside of a couple games here and a couple of, of moments. It has not been a great great year for him. And if anything, it's been a, a huge disappointment for Justin Fields this year. And I think it's been an understatement. Like, there's a reason why we're talking about – college quarterbacks and rookie quarterbacks. And we are going to be talking about these rookie quarterbacks um today on this podcast. It's because like the Bears are more than likely to be moving off from Justin at the end of the season. But, you know, for him and, and whether he's the Bears quarterback next year or quarterback for another team, I think it is going to be important to see how he does here. And he's going to have an opportunity against some pretty tough competition, which should be, you know, worth noting after you know he's played some weaker defenses um Earlier in the year, but you know, we talk about this offense quite a bit. Let's get to that defense, like you alluded to before, because you know, the defense has played better over the last five weeks. Now, I will say they've played probably the weakest stretch of quarterback they're going to get, um, all season long. When you look at you know, they played the Jimmy Garoppolos of the world, you know, they faced Kirk Cousins when you know, Justin Jefferson that was the first game that that he was out, so the Vikings offense was kind of adjusting a little bit you know you, you look at this past week obviously against Bryce Young and that Carolina Panthers offense which is just man that offense that Carolina has is brutal I mean they, they are quite clearly especially with Kyler Murray being back for the Cardinals they, they are quite clearly the worst team in all of football so I think the Bears fans can feel pretty confident that they're being getting the number one pick in next year's draft which is pretty exciting to say um but I mean they have benefited from that but at the same time I mean, this defense has objectively played you know much better or less few weeks. they they seem to have cleaned some things up a little bit um the run defense has been excellent all year long and that's kind of been reflected in the stats they are among the league leaders in a lot of statistical categories from when it comes to the run defense pass defense is still a work in progress to be kind but hopefully i mean you know with the addition of Montez sweat you know we've seen two games of him now against the saints and the panthers and and so far you know he he's been I don't know if you'd say he's been as advertised, but he's been, you know, productive in his two appearances here with the Bears. And just going over, you know, the numbers here that he has, you know, he hasn't gotten a sack yet with the Bears. But when you look at according to PFF metrics here, you know, 10 total pressures in two games, which is, is pretty solid. You know, the pass rush grade and all that stuff has not quite, you know, been great for him. You know, he's only got an average pass rush grade, but, you know, he's bringing good run defense. You know, he, he's he been an impact guy in terms of, you know, setting the toe physically in, in on the line of scrimmage for this defense. You know, when you look at Montez Sweat and what he's done and how he's impacted this defense, you know, what what do you make of how he's played in a Bears uniform so far?
1: He's been really solid, and let's just get this straight. I mean, today is November 15th, so it's been technically 14 days since Montez Sweat has even been in a Bears uniform, and the reality is simple. It's like you come in, you play two games within four days. I understand he was on the snap count against the New Orleans Saints, against the Carolina Panthers last week. I mean, he had played about 73% of defensive snaps, and again, I would have to go back and, you know, Really watch the film to get an idea of why he only played 73% of snaps. Maybe it's because he was in a bit of a ramp up period, but maybe also because the Bears, you know, as they kind of do go ahead and switch from nickel to dime in some of their base defenses, you do get a lot of these edge rushers rotating in and out. But ultimately, you know, I actually just wrote a piece on this on the Bear Report website, which I highly recommend checking out. But Montez Sweat, I mean, again, he's only been here for two weeks and he's made a massive impact already because if you're looking at this defense, you are looking at a defense that, yes, they're playing hard. Yes, they have a couple guys who literally grew up in the Chicago land area that are playing hard like a TJ Edwards and a Jack Sanborn. And yes, this is a team that's really trying to go ahead and figure it out. They've got their young guys like Brisker and Gordon, but they also have some veterans that have been in the league for some time, like a Justin Jones, Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson. But these players, Mm -hmm. one thing that's common about them is they all see and understand the impact that Montez Sweat is bringing. You kind of look at that Thursday night game, and I spoke to rookie Jervon Dexter, the defensive tackle, after the game. And one of the big things he said to me, and again, I'm reading here word for word in interviews that I transcribed, was He's relentless. Last week I've seen him run a play all the way from the opposite end. He ran the play down like 20 or 30 yards just watching him be relentless and the effort that he shows, the way he rushes but still shows that effort from first all the way to fourth down. So just seeing him do stuff like that is showing me. And that to me shows that Montez Sweat is a guy who's coming in and just impacting the entire locker room on both the offensive but also the defensive side of the ball. And then, you know, he has seen himself too in terms of getting better with all these new guys around him. So this is a player who, you know, you talk about a guy who's never really reached double-digit sacks in his career, who a lot of people would never put in the upper echelon of edge rushers. Around the league compared to the Bosa brothers and the Miles Garrett's and the Cleo Max of the world, but he's still come in and, you know, really been good enough for a defense that's trying to figure out what their true identity really is beyond this just tough stingy defense. that's going to make these mediocre quarterbacks work every single time.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
2: Yeah, and, and I think look, I mean, we don't have to sugarcoat it. The bear's overpaid to bring in Montez Sweat. It is what it is. Like you said it, he's not in that. He's a tier two below the top guys, right? That are that are making the big bucks at edge rusher. When you look at the Crosby's of the world and the Miles Garrett's the Bosa's, we, we we the Watts, you know, we understand that. Like, you know, Montez Sweat, he is a tier two or three edge rusher. You know, he's a a really good number two edge rusher, um, and a low-end number one edge rusher type of guy. That's what the Bears have brought in. And so far he's kind of looked the part of that. I know the pressure numbers from the Panthers game kind of overstay his impact because, you know, he had seven pressures, according to PFF, but half of them, like literally half of them came on plays where he was unblocked. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not a case where he's, you know, commanding double teams and opening things up for other guys, or, you know, he's just demolishing one-on-one situations. Like that's not the case here. That's not his style. It's never been his style, you know, he's a good player. You know, he showed off that long arm bull rush move that kind of been a staple of his game. We've seen that a couple times here. Um, and it's paid off a little bit, right? You know, he's definitely had his moments where, um, he's put together some impressive rushes and has made, you know, some impact plays in terms of, you know, affecting the quarterbacks and putting pressure there. Um, so, you know, that is, you know, that's good stuff right there. Overall, you'd like to say, um, but, I mean, look, um, it's we we have to take into account, too, that, that you know, the last two weeks they played some pretty brutal offensive lines in terms of, like, you know, the overall talent and, and production there. Like Carolina Panthers, they're a bottom five pass protection offensive line. And, you know, the New Orleans Saints aren't too far ahead of them. I think the, the PFF has them ranked as their 24th rated, you know, pass protecting offensive line. So it's not like they're going up against you know a bunch of role leaders here, and you know it's going to be much more of a test, I think, going up against this, you know, Detroit Lions offensive line, which is a top three pass protecting unit so far this season. You, know, you got Taylor, you know, Taylor Decker, Penay Sewell, obviously, you got some of those guys in the middle, like you know Frank Ragnow and um, Joe Jackson. So they got some guys. Graham Glasgow has played pretty well for them this year. You know, so it's gonna be much more of a challenge this upcoming week against Detroit. So I'm interested to see whether he can replicate that performances that he's had in the last two weeks and and this defense can continue to put pressure on quarterbacks. I'm not buying it because personally, like they've just played to me, it's just a case where they've just played some brutal offensive lines. And so I, I'm just gonna, you know, that's that's where I'm at with all this. I want to see them do it against a you know a quality offensive line first before you know, I make any declarations about this team being, you know, this pass rush being rejuvenated because of Montez Sweat. And I, I saw a lot of people say, like, you know, you can totally tell that Montez Sweat, he's out there making an impact or that he's, you know, a guy that is, you know, clearly just, clearly just making, you know, everybody better on the offensive line. And it's like, I don't know. Like, are, are we saying that because he's doing that or because, like, he's the only NFL cover rusher in this roster right now. And it's like, Oh, that's what an NFL edge rusher looks like. Right. So I, I'm curious if it's, it, it's some of that as well.
1: I mean, it goes both ways to be honest, because on one hand, the pressures and kind of the quarterback hits, they're legit, right? That's stuff that you can turn the film on and you can basically grade, but then also the other half of it just comes down to, It's tough because it's like when you think of household name at pass rusher, you know, you do think the tier ones, the Bosa brothers, the Max Crosby's, Khalil Max of the world, right? You want to be paying those guys handsomely to consistently get after the quarterback each game. I look, I understand. There's the whole argument of, yeah, we'll look at what he did to Washington. But again, you're paying a guy, you know, what, $24.5 million a year, and he's never once had a double-digit sack season. You are paying a guy to essentially get after the quarterback. And again, just because Montez sweats on this roster, being fully realistic here, I don't think, that necessarily rules out or should rule out the bears from taking a edge rusher with one of their top three picks in the 2024 draft and what i mean by that is this is that you have your two ones right and then you have your third round pick because you don't have a second because you traded that for Montez sweat now you can accumulate that second again by trading down from your second first round pick but then ultimately the question is is who's going to be willing to give up that second because if you look at recent trade history I mean what does it show it shows that teams don't want to part with second round picks in the current draft year unless they are really enticed to go ahead and move up because this is a very deep second round class that's kind of coming up and to me it's ultimately like if you want to get your long-term solution on the roster to complement Montez Sweat that's got to come in the NFL draft
2: yeah and, and speaking of NF, the NFL draft I think it's time then for us to move on to um talking about some draft topics here you know we talked about you know Fields being back and, and Montez Sweat but you, you know let's get back to the quarterback conversation right because You know, look, as things stand right now, the Bears have the first and fifth picks in the upcoming NFL drafts in 2024, you know, the first pick being Carolinas and the fifth pick being their own. So they're still in the mix here to get, you know, two really high draft picks here. And what I find interesting is that, look, you're probably looking at one of Drake May or Caleb Williams being the quarterback here in Chicago next year with the first or even second overall pick, right? but what's going to be interesting is what happens with that second pick. Now, you know, you're outside of the top three, which, you know, if you're third overall, that's
1: Maserati
2: Marv, you know, range right there with Marvin Harrison uh, Jr., you know, who's a generational wide receiver prospect, obviously. Um, But, you know, now that you're outside of that Marvin Harrison range, you know, um, the options seem to kind of, Open up a little bit for what this Bears team could do. You know, you know, do you go offensive tackle there with you know because you gotta be happy with what you see on Darnell Wright and Braxton Jones. So is tackle really a need? Like, do you even go after a Brock Bowers who's you know a tight end but not really a tight end? You know what I mean? So a lot of interesting op- options there. Or do you try to trade down because look, as much as we talk about the top two quarterbacks, you know there is there are some some decent competitions here or is a decent competition here for that quarterback three spot. And, you know, you look at some of the guys in this draft like Michael Penix Jr. And J.J. McCarthy, who's to my, in my opinion, really solidified himself as um, that th- third guy. We, we can talk to him in a, in a bit though. Um, you know, a lot of the talk has been surrounding those guys in, in this upcoming draft class. And two guys that um, have, you know, certainly had their names in the headlines recently have been, you know Quinn Ewers out of Texas and Shadur Sanders obviously out of Court uh, Colorado, and what's interesting is that both these guys. It sounds like if we're reading the teles correctly here, it sounds like both of these guys are going to be, you know, staying in college next year as opposed to entering the NFL draft, which would certainly change the landscape a little bit for this draft class. Um, you know, at least for you know Shadur Sanders because I think the NFL is going to be a lot higher on Sanders than they are on Quinn Ewers. Um, but with the rumors that those two guys are perhaps out of this draft class, like how do you think that, first of all, why do you think, you know, those two guys would stay? What, What do you make of that? And, you know, how do you think that changes kind of the outlook of this draft class once you get past the top two guys?
1: I mean, let's just kind of get into the first question why would those two guys stay? And the answer is really simple because as a quarterback and as any draft prospect coming out, you are trying to put yourself in the best position possible, right? You want to go ahead and maximize your value, especially in round one where you do, again, you get that 50-year option, but then also you want to put yourself in a position where financially you have, basically set yourself up for life on a rookie contract. And then there's the football side of things, which is you want to show just how good of a player you are. So to me, the way that I look at everything is this, is that the seasons that you accumulate in college football, whether it's two, three, or four years, those are essentially job interviews that you are participating in every single week. And you are basically telling scouts and, executives and personnel directors and all those other NFL guys like you're telling the NFL world like hey this is who I am this is what I'm going to bring to the table and so to me the reality is very simple is that for Ures and Shadur Sanders to want to go back to school it's not that hard of a decision because you know for a fact that All the attention in this draft class is going on Drake, Maya, and Caleb Williams. You also know for a fact that your value right now may be high, but if you go back to school and you play another year and you start every single game, you go ahead and you prove that you are an NFL quarterback there's number one, going to be less questions. Number two, the additional seasoning and all the sure reps that you're going to take are just going to set you up better in the long run to be able to kind of play the game that you've been playing since you were a little kid. And number three, let's be honest about something. You know, if you go with that, if you declare right now and you're, you know, let's just say a top 15, top 20 pick, it could kind of be a year or two before, depending on where you land, before you really get to kind of go ahead and make your mark, right? When you go back to school, you get drafted high in 2025, and then you're in a situation where it's ultimately, hey, you from day one essentially you get handed the keys to the franchise even though there may be a point where you have to just kind of sit back and watch and looking at Quinn Ewers as well as Shadour Sanders I mean you definitely see everything there right you see pretty good athletes you see guys that can certainly sling it you see guys that are capable of reading defenses left to right and right to left you're capable of you know being natural playmakers getting the ball to your playmakers in space and kind of just letting them do the rest of the work you're seeing incredibly smart and instinctive guys but the additional year of seasoning is going to make them much better prepared to handle the nfl game and i ultimately just think that that's what it comes down to because again a lot of these guys who do come out, right, they maybe declare a year too early, let's say. Well, the reality is they go to the NFL, they get thrown to the wolves, and then what happens is part of it is the situations that the teams are in. The other half of it is that those guys were just not ready to go. And then all of a sudden, you know, you look up in three to four years and those guys are looking for backup jobs on the free agent market.
2: Yeah, I I think for, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Cures games. I, I think, you know, if, if Quinn Ewers was playing Alabama every single game, like he'd be, you know, a, the topic in the NFL draft because he seems to always play his best football against Alabama for whatever reason over the last two years. But, you know, Quinn Ewers, he's one of those guys where he's just – he's too inconsistent for my taste. I just – I get the arm talent – um, but I don't know. There's just there seems to be something missing with him, in my opinion. So I think he could benefit from going back additional year and maybe try to raise that draft stock and maybe have kind of like you kind of like a bow next done at Oregon, where you know he 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 stayed in school a little bit longer, developed his game a little bit, and he's gotten better at some of the little things that you know we know that he's a phys, physically talented quarterback. It's just a matter of putting it all together for him. So I think he could use that extra time to maybe you know get the most out of that. Now, what should your Sanders? Like, look, I don't think Sanders is as physically talented as yours in terms of the arm talent and the arm strength and the size and whatnot, but Sanders, he plays a position very efficiently in my opinion. Um, To me, it, all, it makes all the sense in the world for him, right? Because I, I think with another year in college, he could be in the discussion for uh, the topic in next year's draft. And it makes a lot of sense because Look, in Colorado, they're not a finished product in terms of that program, right? This is the first year of Deion Sanders being there at Colorado and getting the right recruits in the building there. So we knew it was going to be a multi-year process uh, with that. And look, the offensive line for Colorado is not good whatsoever, and that certainly has hurt uh, Shadur Sanders at times when you look at him in the passing game. Um, You know, and especially over the last few weeks, it's been a lot rougher for him and this Colorado passing offense in recent weeks. Because when at the start of the year, when they were able to kind of mask some of the issues in the offensive line with some creative play calling, Sanders looked great and he he looked like a legit like top NFL prospect. You know, in in recent weeks hasn't quite been there as much. Um, So you would like to see you know him get better protection up front and you know see if that can kind of improve, you know, some of the other aspects of this game. But Sanders, I I mean, in terms of the uh, ability and what I see from him, I see a very talented prospect who I think could certainly be number one in not next year's draft, but the year after that, right? After, you know, Caleb Williams and Drake may do their thing uh, this year. So uh, to me, it makes all the sense in the world for both of these guys, you know, maybe not as much for careers, I guess, but for Sanders, I think it makes a ton of sense. Like, you know what you're getting out of him as a prospect, um, he's got the talent. He just he needs a better surrounding situation, I think. And if he gets a better surrounding situation, it wouldn't surprise me if he just goes off next year, um, completely with that Colorado uh, program and how electric they have been at times. Now, speaking of quarterback three, um, you know it's been an interesting discussion to say the least because I think for the most part it, it, it seems like one guy has kind of been running away with it this year, and that's got to be JJ McCarthy out of Michigan and JJ McCarthy's a guy who, you know, he started for this Michigan team last year. It was a big part of their success, but he really wasn't asked to do a lot at Michigan because, you know, they're a run heavy team. You know, it's a lot of friendly scripts for him. They don't really rely on the passing game in, you know, in that Michigan offense with Jim Harbaugh kind of running things there. But this year, you know, he has taken a, a big step forward um, this year. And one of those things where, you know, he's one of the highest graded quarterbacks, according to PFF, he's got a high big time throw weight, big time throw rate, um, you know, 18 touchdowns, three interceptions, over 10 yards per attempt, Um, just extremely efficient this year. So when you're looking at JJ McCarthy, you say, you know, do you think he's kind of earned the right to be the quarterback three in this draft class? Or do you think there are some other guys here that are more deserving of, you know, that moniker?
1: Honestly, it is really tough because when we kind of get to full-on draft season in the spring, there's going to be people who have Michael Penix and J.J. McCarthy completely flip flop. which, again, based off watching both of them this season, I totally see the arguments for why these two are going to end up QB 3-4 ranked higher or lower on some people's boards. But you know what I mean? Again, the... So let me take a step back because there's a whole Michigan, the whole kind of drama and the scandal that's going on at Michigan right now. Um, I am waiting for someone to kind of go ahead on social media amongst the Bears fan base and start the narrative that if you do hire Harbaugh and pry him away from Michigan, then J.J. McCarthy needs to be the consensus number one overall pick. Okay, someone's going to go ahead and start that. And it's going to be pretty hilarious. But anyways, JJ McCarthy to me is really polarizing because when he plays against some of these weaker opponents, you certainly kind of see why he's being pegged as QB three. But then again, when he goes up against tough big 10 guy or big 10 opponents, right. And just tougher opponents in general teams that are ranked in those AP top 25. That's where I feel like you tend to see a lot of struggles go on, right? Like you look at this game against Penn state last week and, He wasn't necessarily overly impressive, right? Like, I think he was 7 of 8 for 60 yards. He had 34 yards rushing, and really kind of that was the end of that was his final stat line, right? To me, it shows that when it comes to these better, bigger and better opponents, J.J. McCarthy just isn't able to get it done. But can we also factor in that Michigan does have Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards at running backs, and they've got a really good offensive line up front, which is why J.J. McCarthy is able to kind of be as effective as he is. But, you know, it, it, to me is this, right, is it's like J.J. McCarthy – at the end of the day, is not necessarily a guy that you can just plug and play, right? He's not in the same echelon as a Drake May or Caleb Williams. It's more so, you know, he's going to need a hell of a lot of seasoning and tons of structure around him to even be able to go ahead and operate an NFL caliber offense.
2: Yeah, you bring up the Penn State game. I th- I think it's uh, it's it's truly hilarious how like not dependent Michigan was on McCarthy was McCarthy in that game. Like only eight attempts, he had ten total dropbacks in this game, which is just insane. Uh, his his uh, average depth per target was two point six yards past the line of scrimmage. So he was basically throwing all screen passes in this one. So he really wasn't asked to do anything. And you could take that either as two ways. You could look at at that as either, like, this coaching staff not trusting J.J. McCarthy um, to make plays against a really good Penn State defense. Or, you know, it could just be, like, they had a game plan. You know, you you mentioned you know them having Blake Coram, Like, they have a dominant rushing attack. And when you can run for what? They had, like, over 200 yards rushing in that game against Penn State. Like, when you can run for that many yards and dominate the line of scrimmage like they can, like, why – why not take advantage of that, right? So I don't want to like use that game against McCarthy too much, but he is gonna have some tougher challenges coming up, right? He's got Ohio State coming up, which should be probably the big test for him this season. Michigan, I would assume if they beat Ohio State, is gonna be in the college football playoffs. So you're probably gonna maybe play a Georgia defense at this at some point. And Georgia defense, we know that they they'll get after you as, as a quarterback and You know, he he will be challenged to end the season. So I I, I am curious to see how he meets that challenge because it has been him basically playing an easy mode this year. I mean, most of his numbers are coming off of, like, play action. Um, Like, when you look at, you know, his stats compared to play action and no play action, you know, play action, he he has a significant chunk of, of his production based off of his play action. And it's not that he's been bad when he doesn't have play action work off of, but it's just that, you know, they they do support him with the run game and play action off of it quite a bit at Michigan. So it is something to keep in mind. But overall, like McCarthy, you look at him, you know, he's a very good, you know, fastball thrower. He, he makes some really good throws in traffic. He's, he's shown the ability to throw the ball in tight windows this year. Um, and there is a lot to like, I think. You know, some evaluators may be a little bit lower on his – Size or lack of thereof. You know, he's a kind of a skinnier quarterback. He's not really imposing physically. So you compare him to a guy like Drake May, who's freaking massive. Like it's just not the same guy. Or even Caleb Williams, who yeah, he's a shorter guy, but you you look at him physically, he's a rocked up built dude, right? Who can withstand punishment. I think in the NFL, McCarthy. You know, there are some questions about that, but the arm talent, the athleticism, are all there. And generally, the accuracy is pretty good. It's just a matter of, look, he only has like just over 500 passes in his college career in college, so there's just not a large sample size, even this year, to work off of when you're evaluating him. So I, I think these next few weeks are get, for him are going to be very important. Y- and again, you got guys like Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. who both have flashed this year and have really put it all together for a lack of a better word. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. I, I think you know, clearly there's the, the top two guys. And after that, like those three names right there, I think that's, you're kind of choosing between those three is, in, in terms of who's your quarterback three. And the alternate question will be like, who goes in the first round then? Because there are going to be a lot of quarterback desperate teams this upcoming offseason. And as we know, quarterback desperation means that you're overdrafting these guys more often than not. So that'll certainly shake up the first round as we kind of see it here. Um, But with that said, let's finish up today by talking about those top two quarterbacks. And specifically, when you look at Drake May here, who, you know, it was interesting. So Adam Johns of The Athletic, um, we all all know Adam Johns covering the Bears here. He's a a staple in Bears, on the Bears beat. Um, You know, he was at that North Carolina game against Duke over this past weekend. And Drake May, um, to put it kind of simply here, he had, you know, one of his best games of his collegiate career or, or one of his better performances of the season, I should say. I mean, the, the statistics don't really pop off at you necessarily when you look at it, you know, 342 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. But you look at some of the big plays he made late in this game, some of the big-time throws he made, certainly an impression, impressive performance. And, you know, with Caleb Williams kind of having some struggles this year, to put it kindly, you know, some more ups and downs than you'd probably expect given the hype around him coming into the year, you know, I, I, I've i talked about Drake May and Caleb Williams kind of the conversation before over the past few weeks, but are, are we in a position now where Drake May being quarterback one is not only realistic, but kind of expected here going into, you know, the end of this year?
1: This is hands down going to be a really interesting debate because to me, it is just getting started. And if I'm going to be fully honest, I'm on the Drake, Mike, Caleb, or QB1 train. And the reason that I'm hopping full steam ahead on this train is because it's usually around this time of year where prospects significantly begin to go ahead and just separate themselves. And they separate themselves to the point where more than anything what it is is this is that they kind of become the leaders in the clubhouse in terms of being the best overall in their positions. and again last year was a bit of a unique year because you had people going back and forth on Bryce Young and CJ Stroud the year before that there really weren't any kind of top tier quarterbacks 2021 well you had you know Fields and Lawrence and then everybody else but to me, I mean, looking at the way that Drake played against Duke, looking at the way he's played over the last few weeks, comparing that to Caleb Williams, I mean, it's very clear that there's one quarterback, again, the UNC guy who's coming in, has kind of played in a pro-style offense before, is just so. Comfortable, smart, instinctive, operates with a sense of accuracy, can kind of hit any throw on the field compared to a guy like Caleb Williams, who, again, is really good. But to me, one of the defining moments in the Caleb Williams era is going to be that loss to Washington and not because he was seen crying with his friends after or with his family. I'm sorry, after the game but simply because there were enough moments for him to kind of step up and win the game, and the reality is that he didn't get it done. Now, you can sit here and say, yeah, well, he doesn't have the best defense and blah, 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 and all that, but at the end of the day, like, guess what? Your job as a quarterback is to go out and to lead the team and to win games and show up in those clutch moments. It's fair to argue that Drake has been much more clutch than Caleb, and if you're talking about a league that today is predicated on versatility – Well, guess what? I'm taking Drake May because I know for a fact that his style of play and his skill set fits multiple different offenses in the NFL compared to a guy like Caleb Williams, who, again, I would not be surprised to see him kind of be limited to one specific scheme where he's really good and then a whole bunch of other schemes where, you know, he's just good, but not necessarily great by any means. Whereas with Drake May, what you're getting is a guy who he can play in this Kyle Shanahan offense, right? And then he can go ahead and you can get him to play in a variation of what the Buffalo Bills have been running, right, under former offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey as well as Brian Dable, right? Two of the best systems. And he kind of fits into that West Coast system that Andy Reid's running too. So when you kind of have a quarterback that can do a little bit of something in all three, it's essentially the complete package right there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Drake May typically, you know, traditionally when you look at these skill sets here, um, just comparing the skill sets, Drake May's skill set kind of translate or has more of a baseline of translating than Caleb Williams does have. Right when you look at Drake May, he's your standard, like, big guy, big arm, you know, really good accuracy down the field, athletic dude, obviously. But the selling point for him is that, you know, he – He's a, he's a pocket passer that is he, he has an actual, excellent understanding of when and how to fit the ball in the tight windows without putting the ball you know at risk too often. So he, he's kind of found that balance between you know taking aggressive chances and you know not having it cost his team too often like, and, and to kind of exemplify that like you look at like some of the, the advanced metrics here, You know, his big-time throw rate, which, you know, it's a subjective stat, but it's generally pretty consistent Um, overall when you look at, you know, the way that PFF tracks it. His big-time throw rate, you know, this season is 8%. So 8% of his throws this year are big-time throws, while he's only has seven turnover-worthy plays this year. So 1.6% turnover-worthy play rate. So that kind of difference between big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays is really exciting because that tells you that you know he is making some absolute throwing some absolute dime balls down the field into the tight spaces and tight windows and and making it work while not turning the ball over over too often, which is extremely impressive. He's a guy who pushes the ball down the field, but he doesn't hold on to the ball like excessively too much. Like his time to throw is you know two point seven seven times you know uh, average time per throw which is pretty standard uh, for a lot of quarterbacks in today's NFL. And just overall, like, the thing that stands out for May is that his consistency game to game is really impressive to me. He's only had, like, you know, he hasn't really even had, like, a a, a true, like, stinker this year. Like, he had some performances early in the year where, you know, he got unlucky with some interception, you know, luck, uh, where, you know, some bad balls or whatever just didn't go his way. But ever since, like, you know, a couple bad plays here and there early in the year, he's been really rock solid and even excellent in a lot of times uh, this season. And this Duke game was a big example of that. He kind of started off slow a little bit, missed a few throws. But once he got into a rhythm there, you know, midway through the game, and especially in the fourth quarter and overtime, uh, he was just throwing – Javelin after javelin down the field, and, and dime ball after dime ball. Like it was really impressive to watch. And that play he made at the end, uh, where he's he's getting hit as he throws um, to find the guy for the two point conversion. Um, you know, in the back of the end zone, there it's just ridiculous stuff. So he does have some play extension to him as well, and some off-script ability. You compare that to Caleb Williams, though. Caleb Williams, there is, in my opinion, just because of his play style, there's just going to be a lot more variance, right? He's a guy who holds onto the ball forever. Like this year, for instance, his average time to throw is 3.2 seconds, which is extremely long. Uh, he takes a lot of sacks, and he avoids a lot of sacks, but he does take a lot of sacks. And this year, for whatever reason, he just – I think it's because of the fact that he relies so much – on going off script, he's going to turn the ball over, put the ball in harm's ri- risk, ball in harm's way a little bit more often. He's got a 4% turnover the play rate. So that's a, a really high number for a prospect of his stature coming out. And that's something you'd like to have be uh, much lower, to say the least. Um, you know, Caleb Williams, he has put together some really solid performances over the last few weeks after, you know, he struggled against Arizona and Notre Dame, obviously, was his worst game, probably of his. Uh, College career, if not his just entire football playing career, Um, and the fumbles have been a huge issue for him this year. Like, really, the fumbles have to be corrected. That's stuff that you just have to you have to clean up. But you know, Caleb Williams does have traits that Drake May just does not have in terms of the arm elasticity, the ability to make throws at different angles and on the move, and you know, some of the playmaking ability that he does have. It, It truly is special, man. And Caleb Williams does have some really special ability. You know, he's got a really quick release when he wants to get the ball out quickly. It's just that you know, a lot of times he doesn't. He'd rather play backyard football, which is probably his biggest flaw. And his, and the thing that has made him, you know, has, has given him comps to some of the top quarterback prospects, prospects that we've seen in recent years. Um, you know, I'm just going to say that, like, at this point, I'm kind of with you. I think Drake May is, you know. I'm kind of leaning towards him. I I feel a lot safer with his projection compared to Caleb Williams. To me, there's just a lot of uncertainty with Caleb Williams because you have to project that he's going to be able to fix a lot of the flaws in his game. Whereas Drake May, I know what his flaws are, but I I think his flaws are much easier to work around in the NFL compared to Caleb Williams because Caleb Williams just isn't going to be able to get away with, I think, a lot of what he is getting away with now. Whereas Drake May, I, I, I've i seen Drake May have success before, and that's Justin Herbert, right? He, Drake May, to me, is like a clone of Justin Herbert. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, like, how this plays out. Because like you said, this debate is only getting started. And I assure you that Bears Twitter will not get completely toxic over the debate because that's never happened before on Bears Twitter, right? Um, but, yeah, it, it'll, it'll be interesting because the Bears have the top pick like they do. Uh, it'll, I'm sure it's going to be something we're talking about quite a bit on this podcast over the next few months. All right. Well, I, at this point, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Well, I guess we could get to our prediction for this upcoming game. You say, if you want, so um, let's do that real quick. What's your prediction for this upcoming game against the lions. Who do you got winning this one?
1: I mean, I've got the lions winning 35 to 14. It's a road game. It's Detroit. Ford Field has suddenly become one of the toughest places to play the lines are rolling I mean that offense can do absolutely anything I'm going to say Detroit starts to count down the number of games left until they can officially celebrate their first NFC North title in 3 decades and that's going to happen this week after they pummel the Bears Yep I
2: got 3120 Lions if there's anything this this Lions team has shown this year is that they do take care of business against bad teams this year and the bears you know they're getting justin fields back they are a bad football team so i'm going to take the Lions in this matchup here um i just think you know even with fields back it's just not going to make that much of a difference they're on the road you know four fields going to be loud i'm guessing you know for this one they're they're the fm base is just ready to go i i think this year and they've had a fun ride so far and and honestly as an outside observer you know we're bears fans here i've got to say like Dan Campbell, man, you got to believe her in me because they are a fun team to watch. And even though they're division rival here, I just I have to tip my cat to what they're doing. Ben Johnson, the play calling is just absurdly good. And I would love nothing more for the Bears to kind of steal him this offseason and make him their next head coach. But time will tell if, if that's going to happen here. So with that said, that's going to be it for us today. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to like, rate, subscribe, and re- review our podcast here on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts, really. Um, and make sure to follow us on social media as well. You can follow us on X at Picks for Polls. You can also follow the Bear Report on Twitter as well at Bear Report. Um, you said where can our listeners find you and find your work?
1: Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report website.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well, where I do my Track in the Trenches series, and as well as a bunch of other stuff. I have an, a mock draft out there as well, which you can check out. So my first mock draft of the season, uh, which you know I'm sure is not going to draw any divisive comments whatsoever. Um, but with that said, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, for all of our Bears fans out there listening, uh, bear down. Have yourself a great weekend.